So we're uh, beginning our series on joy, the uh, kind of the elusive friend that we want. Joy kind of goes through our fingers when we feel like we get a hold of it. And I, I think a lot of times it's because life just feels like it's full of interruptions. It seems to me like when I'm like, oh, I'm truly enjoying this moment. The phone rings, someone yells out my name. Uh, yesterday it was a neighbor, a neighbor who hasn't wanted to talk to me for 10 years suddenly wants to become Gabby. Now, you've got to realize, here's my week. My week was this. I left on Tuesday and came back late Friday night from being in Columbus, Ohio all week at what's called the Council of Churches for the Christian and Missionary Alliance, right? And so I was there all week long with uh, 5,000 of my best friends at the Civic Center in Columbus. And uh, we had great worship services and stuff. But you go from 8 o'clock in the morning to about 9 o'clock at night. You know, you're just going, going, going. One equipping session to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. To... So it's not really, you know, you think when pastors and missionaries go to council, they're taking a break. It's not a break. Anyhow, I came back, and so I'm, in the morning, I'm getting my sermon notes ready for today, just kind of finishing them up, and I'm, I'm uh, emailing back and forth between Sean uh, Bolton, who's our pastoral intern, who's speaking over at Good Hope Road, and so he and I are texting back and forth. We get that taken care of, but I get out to the backyard, but it was just a series of interruptions. All I'm doing is trying to help my wife. I'm trying to make up for being away for four days, okay? Any spouses ever away, and if you're married to an introvert, that's a long time for them. Because my wife's an introvert, but she wants me in the house. She doesn't necessarily want to be having a conversation with me or locking eyes with me. She just wants me in the house. That's how introverts are. They need people around. And so I'm just trying, but it was just a series of interruptions. And I think that's why we can't experience joy sometimes, because we can't get slowed down enough in order to enter into joy and the joy of the Lord because we're just constantly being interrupted. I, I think there's probably still two or three cups, ceramic cups around the house and in the garage, half full of coffee because I just kept making another cup because I couldn't find the last one from the last interruption. So if you come to my house today and you walk around, just pick up one of those cups. It's only about a day old. Pop it in the microwave and have half a cup of coffee on me, okay? But our joy gets interrupted. And uh, so this summer, we wanted to put together a series for you, and I want you to pull out that bookmark that you have, that you were given. You're given a, a bookmark in there. There still are things called books, by the way. There are, there are books. You know, most of them electronic, but I'm not going to go over every one of these, but we, we designed this so you could use it in three ways. Number one, you can use it as a bookmark in your Bible in order to read through the book of Philippians. So if you don't have a Bible this morning, you can pick one up, okay? And use that as a way of just bookmarking through the Bible. And that reminds you, every morning I'm going to get up and I'm going to read through the book of Philippians this summer for my spiritual growth. I'm going to do that, okay? The second way that you can use it is just to kind of track each week. And we know during the summer that you're going to miss weeks of worship, but we have the podcasts on our website and also on our app on your phone. You can just get on there. So if you miss a week, it helps you track what did I miss last week with the family of God and how can I do that? So it just helps you track through it. The third thing it helps you do is invite a friend. You can look at some of these topics and you go, man, my friend who doesn't isn't of faith or doesn't come to church or whatever, they, they probably would resonate with some of these topics. So you can just use it to give it to a friend, and we'll give you another one. We've got plenty of these, but you can use it as an invite this summer to invite some. So use it in those three ways. Use it in those three ways. 
Now, when we're looking at the book of Philippians, we're going to consult an expert on the subject of joy. His name is the Apostle Paul. If anybody knew how to have joy in dire circumstances, it was him. The Apostle Paul was a missionary in the baby stages of the church, and he was also an apostle. What, it, what that means is he was the missionary that would go out and plant the church and start the church, but then he had apostolic authority over a whole group of those churches. So when he would leave that church, he was still over that church, and he would set up elders and deacons and overseers in that church, but in some sense, they reported back to him, and he had oversight over them. That's what an apostle is. An apostle has spiritual apostolic authority over a group of churches. That's what apostle means biblically. And so when we say the apostle Paul, that's why we're using the term in that way. And so he had a lot on his plate. And really his letters to the early church, which we have through the New Testament, are a training manual for young churches. They're a training manual for the church. So he's writing letters to them and he's saying, when you encounter this, pray this way. When this happens and you have conflict in the church, deal with it this way. This is how you reach out to others in the community. He's training them to be the body of Christ because they're brand new babies. There, was the, this was the, there wasn't other churches that they could go and consult with. They're the new churches. You understand? And so he's writing this training manual and he's sending it out to them and then he's visiting them when he can and he's training these early churches. And if there's anybody who knew anything about joy... It was the Apostle Paul. So when we examine this, we find out he kind of wrote a masterpiece on the subject of joy. It's the book of Philippians, if you look at all of his different letters. And when you examine it, you see that as we examine it this summer, you can see that there's at least five characteristics of God-given joy that Paul talks to us about. And I'm not going to go into detail about these, but it's important that we know what we're talking about when we're talking about joy. First of all, he tells us that joy is not a personality type. You know, sometimes we think, oh, that person's all upbeat and rosy and nice. They have joy. Joy is not a personality type. We might think somebody else is, you know, they're just a little bit more reserved to themselves, so they don't have joy. And it's not a personality type. Joy is an interior quality of the soul that is groomed when you stay in sync with God and his spirit in your life. You have true joy. So it's not a personality. Don't, don't think, well, I just don't have that personality type. I just, I can't experience joy like so-and-so can. It's just not true, okay? Number two, Paul teaches us that joy is derived from reflecting on God's word. And as we do that, we value his character. Over and over again, Paul tells them, reflect on this or read this. As a matter of fact, the letters that were written to them, they would have sat in house churches and read them to each other and reflected on the words. And Paul often will quote the Old Testament to them because he wants them not only to read the word, but to reflect on the word of God. Just about eight years ago, a study was done across the United States, and the study uh, had about 350,000 people, Christians, involved in the study, and they found that the top thing that helped Christians grow was reflective reading of the Bible. Not just reading the Bible, reflective reading of the Bible. Why is that? Because when we reflect on the Bible, we take in the character of God we come closer to him, and we're more able to follow him, okay? So joy is about that reflective reading. Joy also comes from following Jesus first as his apprentice. Paul makes it very clear. I'm an apprentice of Jesus, and if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to be his apprentice. An apprentice does what the master does, learns from the master. And so joy comes when you follow Jesus 
as his apprentice. Joy produces inner strength as we wait on the Lord. Paul talks about that. And the joy can be lost or diminished here when we get stuck in the interruptions of life. Paul goes over that over and over and over again in Philippians. That don't let your joy be interrupted just because life is full of interruptions to your well-devised plan. That it just may be in the interruptions of life where you're able to slow down and have true joy. Now, when you read Philippians, you're going to notice that he has this warm tone in there. And I just want you to look at the person next to you and say, of course we're going to read Philippians this summer. Just say that to the person next to you. There's no doubt about it. But listen to his warm tone as he's engaging the church at Philippi in the whole idea of don't let your joy be interrupted. Sustain your joy. Starting in verse 3 of chapter 1, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Okay, I'm just going to read this, guys. You don't need to put that up yet. I was away this week. All our cues aren't straight, okay? Not his fault. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of our partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be, may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of our God. Notice the tone that Paul is taking with this young church. I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you. My heart is moved toward you. I care about you. Even when we're separate, we're together because we're together in this mission with God and following Jesus and being his apprentice, being his disciple. And so he writes these words, and sometimes you might think that, well, where was Paul writing these from? Well, read the text closely. His life had come to a screeching halt. He's in prison. And in prison that sometimes we know that Paul was writing the letters and sometimes it was so dark in there and Paul struggled with his eyesight. We know that because at the end of one of his letters, he said, look, these are my letters. I write them in such big letters. You can tell it's from me. He had a problem with his eyesight. That might have been what, when he was saying, I have a thorn in my flesh, he might have been talking, I can't see when I'm in prison. Can you imagine not being able to see well in prison, not having good eyesight, but you're writing the church training manual for the church you're locked away from that you can't go back and visit? The people who came to faith when you came to preach and teach and establish the church. And you can't, but he's saying, no, 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 no. Don't let your joy be interrupted. I'm letting my joy be interrupted by being in prison. From prison, with pen and parchment and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul pens the words that will bring joy to his hearers, to that young church there in Philippi. So what was his secret? What was his secret? of maintaining these friendships and having joy even when his friends were far away from him. He's there stuck in prison. If I was Paul, I think I would have felt a little bit dismal, but he doesn't. He counts it joy. 
and he has true joy. So what are some of the things we can learn from this text that help us uh, maintain our joy when we're separated from the people that we love? Let's look at it. Number one, when you're separated from the people that you love, keep them in your thoughts. Keep them in your thoughts. I like this first phrase in verse three. I thank my God every time I remember you. Let's read that out loud together. I thank my God every time I remember you. Now, I don't know about you, but there's very few people in my life that every time I remember them, I'm thankful. Right? And I bet you there's very few people who know me that every time they think of me, they're thankful. I mean, there's been some, even my best friends, even the person I've lived together with for 30 years, my wife, will be married for 30 years on June the 20th. Oh, let's take up a love offering right now. Especially her. Like, I'm sure there's times she remembers me. And, oh, I remember our wedding day, and I remember we did this. I remember last week when he planted that shrub right where I wanted it, and he did it the way I wanted, and then he watered it for three days. And, and then there's other times she's like, every, and I remember Joel, and I remember when he left this on the floor, and I remember when he didn't do that, and I, I remember when he said this to our kid when they were five, and it devastated them. I, not every memory. How, how every, and Paul says, every time I remember you, I get a grin on my face. Do you have people in your life that are like that? Maybe you're far away from them. Maybe they're people that you knew 10, 15, 20 years ago, and they live far away from you. But every time you remember them and you think of them, a smile comes to your face because they point you to Jesus. They remind you of a quality of God. And here's Paul, the great apostle, locked away in prison. He says, every time I remember you, I thank God for you. I thank God for your faith. I thank you that you're the early church. I thank you that you're helping us get this thing planted and going. I, I, I thank, I'm thankful for you that your faith is alive and you're spreading the gospel. So I said, I'm thankful for you. He loved their partnership. He celebrated their partnership. These were truly friends of faith that he had. And even in this short text, you can, you can see how he touched their soul and they touched, uh, touched his soul. Think about that today. If you got an email or a text message this morning from someone you hadn't seen for a long time who encouraged your faith, maybe it's someone you met on a missions trip somewhere. I know anytime I get an email from Mark Schaefer from Ecuador, anytime I get that, I stop and read it. I have pulled my car over the side of the road because Mark is an encouragement to my soul. Mark could tell me in the email, everyone got martyred this morning, and it would be encouraging somehow. I don't know. It would be. Because Mark is a man of faith. And he's a man of encouragement. And so anytime I get something from Mark, I read it. He's a friend of faith who encourages me to walk with Jesus. Every time I read, I say to myself, oh, man, I just need to walk with Jesus today. Do you have people like that in your life? Friends of faith who encourage you? When's the last time you texted them, contacted them, emailed them, called them? You know those phones that we have? You can actually make phone calls on them. They're not just for surfing the internet or texting. It actually can talk to a person. Friends of faith. 
Friends of Faith send messages like this. I saw this today. I saw this image today, and it made me think of you. It made me grin and think of you. That's a little text message to that person. The other day, I sent one to a friend of faith, and I just said, you know, I was just thinking about how much I'd love to have a cup of coffee with you this afternoon after I'm done writing up some of these notes at about 3.30. I'd like to meet you on a patio, but you're halfway across the world in Bangkok, Thailand. And so I don't think we're meeting for coffee today. I miss you, friend. You're a good friend. God bless you. Just little text notes like that. I was remembering when we did this, and maybe it's just a funny thing. Something happened. It's for, oh, my word, the same thing happened to me and Todd one time, you know? I was thinking about you, and I just wanted to let you know. Isn't it nice when people just let you know that? I had an aunt when I graduated from seminary the first time. I'm so smart, I had to go twice. And uh, I didn't know my Aunt Evelyn very well. She lived in Toledo, Ohio. And uh, we just didn't get out there much. My family wasn't a family of great means, and so we didn't travel much at all. I knew she lived in Toledo, and uh, I knew that she cared about us because every once in a while we'd get a note from her growing up, and she would usually say something she was praying for us. It would be very specific, but I didn't really know her. On my graduation, she sent me a Bible, and on the Bible, it was the uh, 100th anniversary of the Toledo Gospel Tabernacle, which is the Alliance Church in Toledo, the Christian Missionary Alliance Church in Toledo, 100 years old at that time, the same year that I graduated the first time from seminary. And in it, she had, inside there, had the little prayer page that what she had been praying for me. What an encouragement. I barely knew her, but I was in her thoughts. I was on her heart. I was in her prayers. Why? Because we were family of faith together. Think about that today. Who's a person who you could do that for today? A note, a text, an email, a card, a phone call, a friend of faith that you could call up and encourage today. Who are your friends of faith who, like Paul and his friends, help you grow? They nurture your faith through difficult circumstances. Who are the people who help you find joy when your joy feels like it's been interrupted? When was the last time you made contact with them to encourage them? It's important to do that. Um, I have a, a really tight friend. Uh, his name is Todd Anderson. And we often will say, since the first day that we met each other, we have a kindred spirit. Now, the first day we met each other, we were going to Messiah College, and we were taking a cross-cultural course we knew of each other across the campus because we had some other courses together. We were both communications majors. But I had transferred in, so I was a little bit behind. And um, I was always a little bit behind, even when I didn't transfer in. Anyhow, <laughs> he and I had a room together. That time was the Philadelphia campus. It was on Broad and Diamond Street, and we were taking a cross-cultural course where we would live together for two weeks with an African-American family. And uh, we actually ended up having to sleep in the same bed together with a black family in a Hispanic neighborhood in Philadelphia. Awkward. <laughs> we became the best of friends. We were reading the same books. We were thinking the same thoughts. Both he and I were thinking, we're done with this communication major thing. Maybe 
Maybe we won't do a communications thing. Maybe we'll become pastors. Individually, both thinking his thoughts. He is now a Lutheran brother and pastor in New Jersey. I'm an Alliance pastor here. It's funny how that works. Sometimes we say we kind of lead parallel lives. Our three kids are just about the same ages. When we get together, we share. It's just a kindred spirit. It's just something God has built this friendship in. Here's a picture of Todd when he was my best man in my wedding. Todd is on the left there. That's me in the middle with hair and less weight. And that's our friend Jeff Good on the far right. And uh, we all knew each other in college, and Todd agreed to be my best man. And in many ways, he still is my best man. You know, if I drove to New Jersey today, we, we would just click like that. He, he was in the Holy Land two weeks ago, and he sent me this picture of himself. And the little caption was, just remember today to be a good shepherd. That's, that's a friend of the soul. That's a friend who encourages. That's a friend who makes you laugh. That's a friend who you can share life with. Who are your friends of faith? Who are your friends of faith who this summer you'll make a connection with and they'll increase your joy and they'll help you see that whatever you're going through, your joy doesn't need to be interrupted. Paul goes on and talks about these friends of faith. He said, when you're separated from the people you love, keep them in your heart. Keep them in your heart. He talks about thinking about them, but he moves right on to the whole idea of you're not only in my thoughts, you're in my heart. Because he says it. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He uses three phrases here in these short verses to say to them, and I think it's interesting, he says, it's okay for me to have this affection for you. It's okay for me to like you guys this much. It's okay for me to love you with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why he said, since I have you in my heart. He's saying to them, I love you. I love you. And God's given me a supernatural love for you. He said, all of you share in God's grace with me. Here he's saying this, we're on mission together. And whether we're together or we're apart, we're on mission with God together in this world. And that's an encouragement to me. That I know the gospel's going forth through your life, being lived out through your life and my life. And then he says, I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He's saying, I miss you. I miss you. And even when we're apart, we're together. We're in this together, even when we're torn apart. He turned his corner here and he's showing them his affection. He's, he's talking to them about that. You know, friends of faith are important to keep up with. I don't always do that. I don't always do that so well, keep up with friends of faith, because I'm just interrupted. I'm like you. Life's full of responsibilities and interruptions and things to do, so I don't keep up. Over 20 years ago, before Daybreak was ever in existence, I planted a church called New Life Fellowship in Saratoga Springs, New York, and we lived up there for five years. In those five years, the church grew from 60 people to about 450 people, and so we had to bring some staff on to work together. One of my staff members was Bo Sanders. Bo Sanders played for the Regina Rams, and he looked like it. 
He's a big guy, big muscles, big tattoos. He loved our youth group and he loved many people in Saratoga Springs right into the kingdom of God. Great guy. I remember one of the first times I met with Bo and I was interviewing him and he, he had a Ziploc bag with him and he had a Bible inside the Ziploc bag and I could see there was some tobacco in there too. So I'm not adverse to tobacco. No. So uh, I said to him, I said, what, what's, what's your Bible in the Ziploc bag and the tobacco? And he goes, oh, you know how in the scripture it says that the scriptures are a pleasing aroma in your, in your... He said, when I open this up and I read God's word, I love the aroma of that. I thought, this guy's a character, but he's on to something. <laughs> I like him. Here's what he was saying. I use my senses even to worship God. I was rounding the corner of our house the other day, and out of the right, my right eye, I just caught a glimpse of a little crepe myrtle that John and Deb Williams bought for me uh, when my mother passed away in the fall. Uh, when you guys brought it to me, I didn't think I was going to make it through the winter. I've got to be serious. It looked like a stick. It's beautiful now. I sent you that picture the other day. Thank you. But I came around, and I just caught a glimpse of it just for a moment because it's just so full of greenery. It doesn't have blossoms on it yet. Crepe myrtles come on a little later in the north. So anyhow, I just caught, and in a moment, I thought of Bo. You know how quickly things happen like that? And the reason was I thought of my mother passing away, and I thought two years ago his mother passed away, and she was only 60 years old. And I thought, I need to get a hold of Bo. So I just stopped for a moment. Just let the mower run. I got a big backyard. No one's really paying attention to what I'm doing back there. Except my wife. <laughs> I just let it run for a little bit. I just pray a short prayer. Lord, be with Bo. I'm sure his heart hurts today over losing his mom. Bless him today. Yesterday, I got his contact information from his dad. His dad and I are friends, too. And so Martin sent me Bo's contact information. I just sent him off a little note, and then just, I'm going to follow up this week. It's just a short letter. He and I haven't talked since we ran into each other in Sacramento, California, about 12 years ago. But you know what? When God puts somebody on your heart, in your mind, a friend of faith, follow up, do it. It's going to increase your joy. You're going to see that it's, Life isn't just a series of interruptions. It's God working, and he can take the interruptions, and he will take the interruptions if you submit them to him, and he'll make them a foundation for joy, everlasting joy in your life. But we have to take time to let people know and to let them let us know. We need to let things sink in. You're in my heart. I was thinking of you. I was praying for you. You're a friend of faith. As I thought about Bo, I thought about this song, All the Way My Savior Leads Me, and I'm going to write it in the note this week. All the way my Savior leads me, cheers each winding path I tread, gives me grace for every trial, feeds me with the living bread. I knew from talking to his dad this week that he was really banking on, he just finished his PhD, and he was banking on being offered this certain teaching job at a certain school in Portland, Oregon, and so he didn't get the job. He looked like a shoe in for the job. He didn't get the job. 
Someone needs to tell him that Jesus is cheering each winding path he treads and is thinking of him on the anniversary of his mother's death just two years ago. I need to do that. You need to do that. There's somebody in your life this week who needs an encouragement from you. Listen for God to speak it to you. Follow up. Make it simple. Make it a pointing to the Savior and do it. It will bring you joy. It will bring you joy in your soul because God crafted you to do that. When you're separated from the people you love, number three, keep them in your prayers. Keep them in your thoughts, keep them in your heart, keep them in your prayers. Paul ends this part of the letter with, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and depth of insight. So he starts to pray for them, and he has this abounding prayer for them. He doesn't pray a prayer for them. Oh, Lord, just keep them safe, and Lord, just help their their church stay about the same size, and Lord, help the offerings to be good. And He didn't pray any of that. He said, I pray that your faith may so abound more and more and that the gospel may go out and that the whole place would explode, that the good news of the gospel, and it did explode. You're sitting in this room today because it exploded. You're part of an extension of the early letters of Paul. You wouldn't be here today if the, if the church had not exploded back then and grew. You wouldn't be here today. But it did explode, and his prayers were answered, and their faith exploded, and they became more and more fruitful, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. He said, I'm praying for you. I keep you in my prayers, in my thoughts. Prayers reveal that Paul indeed was keeping them in his thoughts and in his life. And you know what? There's a big difference between uh, mentioning someone in our prayers and keeping someone in our prayers. You know what I mean by that? Sometimes we just mention someone, Lord be with them. And I do that sometimes. I just think about someone and say, Lord be with them. There's another times where I keep them in my prayers is when I'm, I'm studying the scripture and I pray that scripture right over them. That's a key. I'm keeping them in my prayers. I'm looking out for them. I'm listening for them. I'm listening to what God's saying to me to pray for them. When we keep someone in our prayers, we stop asking to do things for God, to do things for our friends, and we say, work in my friends. I've been reading a good book on prayer, and it's called A Praying Life. The, the subtitle tells it all, Connecting with God in a Distracting World. This is a great book. And so I've been reading through it. As a matter of fact, I've read through it once. I'm going to read back through it again this summer. And then on my, uh, my, my weekly Sabbath time, I'm going to sit and journal over it. What did I learn this week as I read through the prayer book? But I'm reading this book on prayer. And uh, one of the things I like, right around chapter 9, he talks about cynicism. He talks about how cynicism comes against our prayer life. Because we start to think things like this. Well, if God knows it all, why should I bother praying anyhow? And cynicism creeps in. Or, or we say, you know, I prayed about that. It did come out that way. But that was probably just happenstance. It would have happened whether I prayed or not, right? God's sovereign. That's cynicism. Cynicism creeps into our prayer life, creeps into our faith life, and then we have no joy. We're just cynical. We have no faith, and we live by fear. And I really like in the book where Paul Miller talks about the whole idea that there's six different ways, and I'm going to give them to you, 
We're going to be here till about two, all right? I'm just going to name them. You get your six, if, if you want to know all six different ways, get the book and read the book. It's worth it. It's a really, it's one of the best books I've ever read on prayer. It's really, really good. But he says there's six different ways to combat cynicism. I just want to talk about one of them. He says, be warm and be wary. That's one of them, which is, hey, uh, the praying life is cautiously optimistic. It's cautious because of the fall of mankind. It's optimistic because we know of the redemption and the cross for mankind. Then he says, learn how to hope again. That's another one. Cultivate a thankful spirit. Talks about that. He talks about how to cultivate repentance. That's number four. Then number five is develop an eye for Jesus. See Jesus working around you. Where's Jesus at work? We used to do that with our kids. I spy with my little eye. Jesus is doing this, you know. But the last one is cultivate a childlike spirit. And he talks about the difference between childish prayers and childlike prayers. Childish prayers, we all start there. We all need to start with childish prayers. It's, not a, it, it's the only place to start. Childish prayers are, here is my Christmas stocking Jesus. Fill it up with spiritual stuff. Okay, I'd like this, and I'd like this job, and I'd like this to turn out different, and I'd like to talk, you to talk to my spouse about this, and my first child, I'd like you talking about this, second child, that, that. I'd like to talk to you about my parents about this, and I'd like, you, I'd like this to be changed. And we kind of have this Christmas stocking, so to speak, and we want all these gifts from God. And there's nothing wrong with asking God for this very particular, but if we stay there in prayer, we're stuck, and we become very self-focused, and we become very childish. Now, childlike is when we progress from there, from those Christmas stocking type prayers, and we progress over here to the prayers like Paul is praying, and we begin to pray childlike prayers. And we find in our prayers that we often refer to God as the Father. Think about that. But we say it in such a way, and it rolls off our tongue and off our mind, and, ah, oh, the good, good Father. He's there. He cares about my friend. And we start to pray prayers like, Lord, as you make me strong, as I go through all these interruptions in life, my friend's going through a terrible interruption in their life. Their spouse has left them. And I'm asking today, Lord, not that you make it easier, but you give them strength in their inner man to connect with you today and walk with you today and be the person you want them to be today, even in the midst of this great betrayal in their life. That's a childlike prayer. Believing that only the Father can minister to his other children in that way. And so in the book, he talks about that and he kind of helps us do that. And that's what Paul is doing. When Paul is doing this, he's helping us move from these childish prayers to childlike prayers. He says in his book, and I wanted to read this quote to you, when he talks about uh, cynicism. And I just got to find the right page number here. This is why I like this guy's book on prayer, because he's honest and he's authentic. Most books on prayer start out with a quote from Martin Luther. Do you know what the quote Martin Luther is about prayer? You've probably heard it somewhere. It says, uh, Martin Luther once said this about prayer. He said it one time, okay? They didn't have electric lights. He had nothing else to do in medieval Europe, okay? I'm not talking about Martin Luther King. I'm talking about Martin Luther, okay? The reformer. He said this, I don't do anything 
all day long before I spend the first three hours in prayer. And every prayer book, you, and I look at those prayer books and I go, okay, I'm done. Okay. Here's what this guy writes. Years ago, I went through a time in my life, in my life that, that became so difficult I was unable to pray. Anybody here ever feel that way? Experience that? Amen. I can read this guy's stuff. I couldn't concentrate, so I stopped trying to have a, co- a coherent prayer time. And for weeks on end during my morning prayer time, I did nothing but pray through Psalm 23. I was fighting for my life. I didn't realize it at the time, but I was following the habit of divine reading. It's called Lecto Divina which was developed in the early church. By praying slowly through a portion of Scripture, I was allowing Scripture to shape my prayers. As I prayed through Psalm 23, I began to reflect on the previous day and to look for the shepherd's present, for his touches of love. Even on the especially hard days, I began to notice him everywhere, setting a table before me in the presence of my enemies, pursuing me with love. Both the child and the cynic walk to the valley of the shadow of death. The cynic focuses on the darkness, the child focuses on on the shepherd. Not long after my conversations with Kathy about cynicism, she went through the valley of the shadow of death and told me, cynicism feels more like bondage to me now. Jesus sets me free to love by showing me the dark, self-serving agenda I cling to in my cynicism. I'm well aware that the journey is far from over, and I'm learning to live in hope. I just need more practice. And then he says these words, the shepherd's presence in the dark valley is so immediate, so powerful, that cynicism simply vanishes in his presence. There's no room for an ironic disengagement when you're fighting for your life. As you cling to the shepherd, the fog of cynicism lifts. As you cling to the shepherd, the fog of cynicism lifts. I want you just to put your chin on your chest. I want you to close your eyes for a minute. And I'm going to read to you the prayer that he read for those months when he felt like he was going through the valley of the shadow of death and couldn't pray. It's Psalm 23. I just want to read these words over you, and I want you to take them in for yourself, okay? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now just sit in the quiet. Let God speak to you through his word. Lord, give us a summer of spiritual growth. 
like the grass and the trees all around us that are burgeoning, plants that are blooming. Help us to grow up on a trellis this summer and bear fruit for your kingdom. Breathe life into us just as you do the trees and the grass and the plants around us. Breathe your eternal life into us. Help us make the best of life's interruptions by using them as a soil to plant seeds of joy in us. Help us mine the richness of friendships of faith, keeping people in our thoughts and in our hearts and in our prayers this summer. In Jesus' name, amen.